This is Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco. We're at 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Jasran Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a big show today, lots to talk about, but we do have breaking news that we should let our listeners know about. The BBC and other news outlets have just reported that Bob Mueller is going to indict or issue new indictments against Paul Manafort and uh, Rick Gates, his associate, for money laundering, for laundering millions, up to $30 million in money from the Ukraine. That's that's kind of a big deal. It is a big deal. And the axe has dropped. Yeah, I, I think that's right, Jamal. And I think, I, I really think this is uh, just a precursor to what is going to be happening next. Yeah. And we've been talking about it. Mueller is, gonna, is not going to let things go. These are the first two indictments. Watch out, Jared Kushner. That's all that I'm saying. Well, I, I want to remind you that one of my predictions, when we had our beginning of the year predictions for the years that I predicted as, as one of my predictions, that Jared Kushner would be indicted this year. And if you look at events that have been unfolding just in the last week, when we see money money laundering from uh, Paul Manafort and, R- and Rick Gates, upwards of $30 million from the Ukraine, we also know that Jared Kushner has not been able to get his security clearance uh, finalized yet. There's a good chance he'll lose that. His own building, 666, uh, Fifth Avenue in New York City is underwater by billion, you know, by a billion dollars. Some say, and we've already talked about all the loans that he had received from, possibly from the uh, Israeli banks, possibly some money coming in from Russia and China. I think this whole thing with Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, is going to not only touch Jared Kushner, but it's clear that they're going after the big fish. They are, and I think this is uh, big news. And remember, last Friday, Special Counsel Robert Mueller's team indicted 13 Russian citizens and three Russian companies, accusing them of conspiring to interfere with the 2016 presidential election and uh, to help Donald Trump win the White House. And, And today, this is the breaking news today, you have the indictment, right? Two previously very close people. Well, not just close, Jamal. Paul Manafort was the campaign director for <laughs> for Donald Trump. And Rick Gates, what was his job? Finance director. So we're not talking about people who were a little close to the Trumps during the uh, Trump campaign. We're talking about the inner, inner circle campaign manager finance manager. So, you know, that saying, follow the money, that's exactly what Mueller is doing. And that money is leading to Russian oligarchs, is leading to the Ukraine. And I think once Jared Kushner enters into this equation, which he inevitably will, Jamal, I mean, we we, we know that this, this circle is tightening around Jared and the president, we're going to see, I believe, this is n- another one of my predictions, that the real issue here is not just that they interfered with our elections and our democracy. We're going to be seeing massive amounts of monies that were laundered illegally coming into the United States. And we're talking about 
now thirty million dollars. They yeah. they took in li- lobbying uh, from Ukraine sources. Just from the Ukraine. So we don't know. This is the tip of the iceberg. And again, I want to go back to Jared Kushner, who recently it was revealed that his apartment building in Manhattan is one billion plus dollars. I want to repeat one billion not in the millions we're talking about the billion plus dollars billion. in the red that's why when we talk about he he did not clear the security clearance, check, cl- right. cl- clearance when someone in the white house has the ears both ears of the president right in debt and in debt to some say russian sources chinese sources israeli sources and israeli sources right well, that's exactly right, Jamal. And when, when they do a background check, they're looking for vulnerabilities to being uh, blackmailed. And the two largest and most significant places where people can be blackmailed is under sexual discretion, indiscretions. Which who knows? we have a lot of this we have going that, around. Right. But secondly, financial debt. It's and and vi- we're not talking about, again, billion, right. billion dollars in debt. Right. And so in, in my humble opinion, I mean, I don't understand why people, people should not be surprised that Jared Kushner has been unable to secure a permanent security clearance because of his foreign ties, his secret meetings with Russian officials, which he did not disclose, his intimate relationship with Israeli banks that gave him money and gave gave the Jared, the Kushner companies money, as well as, you know, he had to amend his security clearance form four times, Jamal. Because when you do that clearance, you have to list all of your foreign contacts. The second time he amended it, he added a hundred names of foreign contacts that he had that he conveniently let go. I think this is breaking news. It is. So again, to our listeners, uh, this is breaking news. The special counsel, Robert S. Mueller III, unsealed new charges today, just a couple of hours ago, less than a couple of hours ago, against President Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, accusing him of hiding income and defrauding banks. So these charges are similar to the ones he he was charged with in October, by the way, according to the new 32-count indictment, indictment, 32 counts. That's not good. Mr. Manafort provided false information about his income to banks when he applied for mortgages. Seven of the counts related to Mr. Manafort's failure to properly file reports on his foreign bank accounts. And the list goes on. So now they, you know, you have the case against Mr. Manafort and Mr. Gates involves accusations that long predate their involvement with Mr. Trump, by the way. Right. This is a long history going on there. But also including their relationship with Mr. Trump. I mean, let's not forget, this is not a small position to be the chairman of the Trump campaign. It's not. And Rick Gates has been a confidant and associate of Paul Manafort for well over 10 years. So Mr. Manafort has two options. Tell the truth or go to jail for a very, very long time. There's a third option. What's the third option? 
name others. Well, that this is usually when they when they put uh, pressure on you. Right. They expect you to name others. So I think this is again this is the tip of the iceberg. Right. You're going to see other names uh, in the next uh, few days. But but even though we're we're kind of describing this as breaking news, Jamal, it kind of relates to our show today. And our show today is really about the way our democracy has been hijacked by corporate interests and lobbying interests. So the title of our show today is how the NRA and APAC, arguably the two largest lobbying groups in the United States, have basically hijacked the U.S. democracy. When, when you look at what has happened from last week's gruesome murder of 17 children uh, in Parkland, Florida, at the high school there, you have seen an organic movement of children, basically, uh, which has been an inspiration to all of us, uh, I think, uh, to take on one of these two large lobbies in terms of really highlighting, and and I've said this to you, Jamal, I don't know how I, I guess we could say it on the air, that these lobbies are basically pimps. And, they are. And they, they pimp out our, our legislators, our congressmen, our senators, our state representatives. And it was so grotesque to see state representatives, state senators like Marco Rubio be confronted by children and look so unbelievably foolish. I mean, you had children who had just had to witness the murder of their of their best friends and their classmates, asking Marco Rubio and other politicians, are they going to continue to take money from the NRA at the cost of the lives of, of American children? And they said, basically, they're going to continue to take money from the NRA. That, that there really is no way that we're going to see this making any legitimate change. That tells us about the power of these lobbying groups. Uh, you're absolutely right. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to APAC. But you have the two most powerful lobbies in Washington, D.C. The NRA. The NRA now, they are under attack. And, and I, I, you, I have to connect the two. The second or the first most well, the power, first most powerful, is, powerful APAC. is APAC. Both are engaged in affecting both local and foreign U.S. policy. That's right. And costing the American taxpayer billions of dollars and lives. Jim. And lives. And lives. And they are both are engaged in death and destruction. What does the NRA do? They just want to sell more guns. More guns. More machine guns. That's have the solution. More mass murdering events across the United States. APAC sponsors and supports an apartheid regime engaged in the extermination of the Palestinian people. And again, this is coming. They, they basically have almost every single politician in Washington, D.C., in their pocket. Well, well, that's why I think APAC is even more uh, disturbing, Jamal, because APAC, uh, as a pimp, has pimped out Republicans and Democrats, whereas the NRA 
even though they've done it to both, they tend to go more towards, you they're know. More selective. More selective uh, towards the Republicans. They're, they're just as repulsive. And what's but more, repulsive. And what's more repulsive, if any of our listeners uh, had the chance to listen to their leader, LaPierre, this morning. I don't know if you saw him. Yeah, the NRA, uh, uh, head of the NRA. He's the uh, executive vice president and chief executive uh, of the NRA, Wayne LaPierre. LaPierre, right. On the defensive, but not only on the defensive, he was on the offensive. He was accusing, accusing the mainstream media, which, by the way, his entire speech was broadcast on the mainstream media. And I have a lot of issues with the mainstream media. But he was accusing the mainstream media, and he said, and I'm quoting him, that uh, the mainstream media love mass shootings. Unbelievable. And, 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 and therefore, you know, this is all an act. And just it's all a hype. It's all hype. It's and, not and, really that bad. And previously... Not the NRA directly, but people who are associated with the NRA made statements, Jess, that these kids were acting. I mean, here are bereaved families and children who witnessed their classmates getting massacred. They were saying they were acting. They right. were actors. Does this remind you of something? Yeah. In fact, uh, I'm really glad that you brought that up, Jamal, because herein, and this is really important for our listeners, is to see the nexus and the coordination and the connection between the vile tactics of the NRA in, in, in trying to attack these amazing, beautiful children who are organically organizing themselves and how APAC and the is Israeli Hasbara campaign attacks pro-Palestine, pro-justice activists. The... Attacks. Do you remember what they said about Ahed Atamimi, Jamal? What they said about this young, amazing uh, 16-year-old woman. Some would say 16-year-old girl, but acting as a, as a young woman. And the courage that she had to take on the Israeli uh, military and the Israeli establishment. What did Mr. Oren, the former ambassador to the United States from Israel say about Atamimi and her family they said she was being she was an she was acting this was made up that she was being you know made to look as if you know she was you know something else other than she was well first of all he described her as which god forbid that uh, you should see a blonde palestinian oh my god or a Palestinian dressed in Western clothing. Right. And he basically, same thing, he said that she was acting. She was acting. And the Tamimi family was not a real family. Was not a real Palestinian and, family. And this is the same it's the pattern. Same. It's the, the same, same pattern when they talk about these kids that they are acting. They're not real. And so we want our listeners to understand that this attempt by far-right extremists whether it's APAC or NRA activists, the techniques are the same, the intention is the same, and the outcome is to hijack the U.S. democratic process because neither the NRA nor APAC are acting in the U.S. interests, and that's what we really want to focus on. Clearly, what APAC has done is 
taken away what is in the best interest of the United States, which is to have peace and justice in the region. It's when we see the destruction that has been brought to the Middle East since 2003, Jamal, and how devastating it's been to the United States, trillions of dollars spent on the war machine in the Middle East, the destruction of, a, of Palestinian civil society, all of these things. Um, is that really in the U.S. strategic interest? Of course it isn't. But that's the APAC aim. The NRA aim is to have as many guns in as many people's hands and, as possible. And, and both basically rely on politicians who are on their dole. That's right. And we saw this because this actually, this confrontation by these young children. It's an inspiration, man. Which is very inspirational yeah. to confront your favorite senator. Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio. Well, because uh, we talked about him last week and right. about his statements. And he was confronted by one of those young school kids. Right, who lost about uh, who lost About classes. accepting, you know, the money. And he couldn't say, I will stop. They're unrepentant. They are. And that's the crazy thing about it. When confronted, both of them, they are so hooked. They are like heroin addicts. They are heroin addicts. They're heroin addicts. They are so dependent on the money that comes from APAC, the NRA, and other lobby groups. And the, the last thing they care about is the interest of the American public. I, I, I have a soundbite here. Let's see. I'm sure a lot of people listen to it. Let's see if we I, can I, get I, it. I don't know if that many people listen to it, Jamal. I hope you had that soundbite. So, Senator Rubio, can you tell me right now that you will not accept a single donation from the NRA in the future? So, number one, the positions I hold on these issues of the Second Amendment, I've held since the day I entered office in the city of West Miami as an elected official. Number two, no, the answer to the question is that people buy into my agenda. And I do support the Second Amendment. And I also support the right of you and everyone here to be able to go to school and be safe. And I do support any law that would keep guns out of the hands of a deranged killer. And that's why I support the things that I have stood for and fought for during my time there. More NRA money, more NRA money. In the name of 17 people, you cannot ask the NRA to keep their money out of your campaign? I think in the name of 17 people, I can pledge to you that I will support any law that will prevent a killer like this No, but I'm talking NRA gun. money. No, no, because... Uh, uh, matter of fact, guys, I bet we can get people in here to give you exactly as much money as the NRA would have. But it's not... But ultimately, look, the First Amendment is as, is as important as the second. And therefore, you have every right to ask that question of me, and I'm here to okay, tell I'll you that I will stand you for the things... Are going to be accepting money from the NRA I, in the future? I, I've always supported... I will always accept the help of anyone who agrees with my agenda. Anyway, right, this... So Marco Rubio, or we should say little Marco Rubio, because he's mentally pretty small, had the audacity to say that the influence of these lobbying groups does not come from money. Why take the money? Oh, oh, but where does it come from then, Jamal? Does it come out of the goodness? No, no. He said also they buy into my agenda. Right. Uh, actually using the word buy. Well, yeah. Buy. What, what do you mean? They pay for my agenda. But it's not. They, it's clearly not. They buy into my agenda. Right. Well, this, this is the problem of since, uh, and again, since the Supreme Court uh, decision. Uh, a couple of years ago um, that allowed unfettered, unrestricted, uh, basically campaign funds coming into these politicians, unchecked Jamal. So basically you can 
run for the highest office. And we should let our listeners know Donald Trump got more money from the NRA. Than 30 million plus. 30 million plus than any other previous uh, presidential candidate in the history of these things. By the way, uh, Marco Rubio receives two points, uh, I think $1 million. A- and we're doing year. the research to find out how much money Marco Rubio is getting from APAC. Maybe we'll get that after the next break. But basically, if as a politician you sell your soul to APAC or to the NRA, you can rise to the highest uh, office of the land. The highest offices of the land have no moral integrity. And you have the you lack the moral courage, as Marco Rubio did, to answer a direct question from a high school student, a constituent, that saw 17 of his classmates be murdered. And Marco Rubio didn't have the audacity, the courage, the ability to even answer a very big, simple question. Will you take NRA money? We should ask Marco Rubio, will he stop taking APAC money? But maybe he'll say the same thing, Jamal, that he doesn't take the money from APAC uh, because of the money, but he just believes in the principle of what APAC does, which is, as we've said, subverting the strategic interests of the United States. I really think, Jamal, the NRA and APAC are undermining the very fabric of our U.S. democracy. So uh, let's look at the maybe a happy outcome, which I, I, I don't see a happy, happy, happy outcome. I don't see a happy outcome. In a way, with the death of, uh, you can see one, of course, with the death of 17 young uh, children. Uh, but there is a movement there. I yes. think it's a little bit different than previous attacks on schools. Uh, what's different? Well, uh, you have, I think, a movement, and an organic movement, and it's very important to say the word organic. Uh, it actually upsets me in a way, and we talked about this earlier uh, before we came. You know, people are excited that, for example, uh, George Clooney, George Clooney Oprah. D- donated half a million dollars. Oprah is going to match this for half a million, but... This is how they kind of co-opt this organic movement. But there is a legitimate organic movement by young teenagers uh, who will be marching on Washington, D.C. in, uh, I think, March 24th. That's right. And it seems for the the very first time this question, because and, and that's why you see the NRA spokeswoman, you see their executive director going on, you know, making the rounds on in the media. They feel threatened for the first time. I mean, we had going back to Columbine and, and, Sandy, Hook. and Sandy Hook and whatever. I haven't seen the same reaction. Do you think that this will lead to really the curbing of, you know, I don't politicians know. I, taking not, money I, from sure. interest the, groups uh, like the NRA. And, and this, is what, this was what worries me, Jamal. Just as APAC and its supporters fund attack dogs, attack media, and attack elements against anybody who goes against the APAC principle, I worry that the NRA and its attack dogs will do exactly the same thing in attacking these children, attacking this narrative, attacking these voices. And I'm frankly, I'm worried because I think you're right. I mean, this is an organic movement, but 
if it gets co-opted by these other forces, then I'm concerned. I think the jury is still out in whether or not this is really different. But we've already heard less than one week after these children were murdered that the NRA and the president of the United States solution to gun violence, to mass murder, is more guns. Arm the teachers. Let's give teachers guns. Let's. The most ludicrous thing that I've ever heard. It, it's, it stretches the imagination on how outrageous the ideas on so many levels, not the least of which is that teachers are trained to be teachers. Um, you know, putting more guns in schools puts everybody at risk. And when a teacher who may have a concealed handgun comes up against someone who has an AR-15 and is, is able to fire 30 rounds in under a minute, is going to go up against the teacher with a handgun, it's absolutely ridiculous. So just like the problem in the Middle East could be solved by even more support for Israel, which is a completely destructive you know, attack uh, to take, the NRA is saying the solution to mass murder and violence is to make sure everybody has guns. And AR for every family is basically where we're headed. So even though I think it's good for all of us to be optimistic about these beautiful children developing this organic process, I worry about the same Israeli Hasbara techniques that, that attack you know, democracy and pro-Palestine activism are going to be used by the NRA because, Jamal, it's the same tactic. It's the same technique. It's the same strategy on attacking, you know, the victim. That's basically what they're except, doing. Except it is uh, uh, more difficult for them to delegitimize and debase bereaving families. Uh, I don't, I hope you're young right, children in schools. It's easier. Right. And, and I, I'll, I'll draw this example because also there is another small news story. It hasn't come out yet, but believe me, this will be a big story. And that's where we make the connection between the NRA and APAC. Al Jazeera has a documentary. Uh, it has not released and it is about, it's an insider view of APAC. In fact, they had one of the reporters he was uh, planted in no way. within APAC. Oh my God. So there is this 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 documentary, uh, and people can Google this. Uh, it's on the final stages of completion, and it will it's going to be very revealing about APAC insider information, wow. recorded footage, uh, some uh, maybe sound bites from the leadership of APAC that actually drove the APAC president to travel to Qatar <laughs> to persuade the emir and no the government no to stop Al Jazeera from releasing it. Wow. Also, the American, the State Department had many contacts, and I'm getting the, the different news. I uh, will be revealing names on the next shows. That's interesting. That they've been trying to pressure... They've been trying to pressure uh, Qatar, basically, they, to, they wanna, to, to, to stop Al Jazeera from releasing this documentary. That's outrageous. And last but not least, yeah. and I actually welcome this what? because you can turn the table, the table against uh, APAC. Today, a couple of uh, 
uh, apex lackeys in Congress, yes. and I shall name them soon. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, wrote a letter. They want to basically, uh, I guess, sponsor a resolution to declare Al Jazeera as a foreign agent. I love they it. want Al Jazeera to register as a foreign agent. So they want a media company to register as a foreign yeah, agent. Yeah, w- which, is, which, is, which is unprecedented. There is a letter that I got actually, you know, a colleague um, published it, Max Blumenthal. We've had him on the show yeah. on his Twitter account. And this letter was written to the Honorable Jeff Sessions, of course, the Attorney General. <laughs> and, the, and the signers are Jacob Gothheimer, Gothheimer, member of Congress, and Lee Zeldin, member of Congress. Those are the two names asking Jeff Sessions to force Al Jazeera in Washington, D.C. I mean, think about it. It's like forcing Al Jazeera in Washington, D.C. might as well force the BBC, might as well any, any foreign media operating in Washington, D.C. But only Al Jazeera. And this is how they want to kind of tighten the screws on Al Jazeera to force them not to show this documentary to declare them as a foreign agent. Well, it's going to backfire, Jamal. And it will backfire because this documentary will get out. By the way, we want our listeners to know that this is KPOO in San Francisco. We're at 89.5 FM. You can listen to us live stream on KPOO.com. You can watch us on Facebook Live at Jamal Dejani 2, where we're broadcasting now live on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, this is, it shows you the power, right, of how, uh, how APAC and, as you said, the NRA together seem to be shaking in their boots a little bit and wanting, and this is a way to subvert the U.S. democracy, Jamal, is to not shine a light not to have transparency on how both of these lobbying groups, the NRA and APAC, are destroying the very fabric of our U.S. democracy. Well, uh, just coming back to this letter quickly, because it's exactly what these two congressmen want. They do want. uh, To register Al Jazeera as a foreign agent. This is what I want to register APAC as a foreign as agent. a foreign agent <laughs> lobbying behind. Uh, uh, I think it's a good idea. No, man. I mean they I are mean. lobbying for a foreign country, which is Israel. So, so it's exactly I mean what they want, which is absurd because Al Jazeera is a news uh, agency, and we have something called they keep talking about the Second Amendment. We have something called the First Amendment. Hello, you know. Hello. So, so these guys they are kind of delusional. However, APAC should be registered as a foreign agent. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point. And maybe that's something we'll come back to. Um, This could be, Jamal, one of those historical moments where an organic movement of people in the United States made change. In, In relatively modern times, the only other times that I can remember where there were movements like this that had this kind of potential for change the civil rights movement of the 60s, you know, late 50s, early 60s, that led to the possibility of change. 
and then the anti-war movement in Viet- against the Vietnam War. But since that time, we really haven't had any big organic movements. There was a little attempt at trying to do that after, you know, after the first, uh, the, I mean, the second Gulf War in 2003, in terms of invading Iraq, we had big movements. It didn't change anything, unfortunately. So I think what we have now is the opportunity for an organic movement. We'll see. I, I may not be as optimistic as you are, though. I'm optimistic. I think there is momentum, and the momentum is there at least to confront the NRA and to affect changes in certain laws, maybe for semi-automatic weapons and, uh, you know, like the bump stock and so forth. But isn't it, isn't it ironic? It's very ironic because it comes to this to really, you know, the slaughter of children to actually force these corrupt politicians to make some changes. And it's very sad that we have, we have a president, uh, you know, in the White House who even failed at consoling the families. And I wanted to show something to our viewers that he needed. And here is something, I have it actually, I tweeted about it. So if, I don't know if this is going to come uh, very clear to our viewers. Is that, uh, is but, that uh, but, Donald Trump's uh, cheat sheet? Yeah, this is Donald Trump's cheat sheet. So uh, what he had, uh, he, he was given, you know, he this had, piece of paper. He had to be told what he, to say. This piece of paper, he couldn't even meet these bereaved families. And this piece of paper telling him to say, oh, I hear you. What would you most want me to know about your experience? They had to write for him, Jess, talking points. With bereaved families. And they had to write directions, instructions, how to act. And he still blew it. Sympathetic. Yeah, and he still blew it. And he had to hold it. He didn't have the decency. And then the best he could come with, oh, we should arm the teachers. And he went on today, the day after, saying... We should arm the teachers. Those, again, repeating this, but he said those teachers should earn extra money. In other words, he wants to give overtime money to teachers who are willing to go to to train, to hold a gun and shoot a gun. He is really recruiting teachers to become security guards. That's such an outrageous thing. The teachers of this world, of our country here in the United States, have arguably one of the most difficult jobs in the world already, Jamal. And the fact that we cannot, in this country, the only country in the world that has this mass murder phenomenon with these weapons of mass destruction, we cannot guarantee the safety and security of our children or of teachers whose job it is to teach and not to bear arms. I truly believe that this is going to be a story, Jamal, that we will be following. I hope I am wrong about this. But when you see the power of these lobby, you you have less than a week after this mass murder, politicians saying, we need more guns. They don't have the the courage to even ban a weapon of mass destruction. We bombed Iraq, Jamal, in, you know, into utter destruction for imagined uh, uh, weapons of mass destruction. And in this country, we give 18-year-olds the ability to buy weapons of mass destruction without any um, 
uh, background checks to speak of without any training. With I mean, they told the story yesterday of an 18-year-old being able to buy uh, uh, an AR-15 with an expired license. So we have this problem in this country, Jamal. No other country has this problem. There, are, there isn't any more mental illness in this country than there is in any other country. But we have more mass murders. We have more weapons of mass destruction. There are 300 million guns in the United States, almost as many guns as we have citizens. And yet we are, not we, the Congress is powerless to do anything about it. You're absolutely right. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is 89.5 FM. And of course, we are uh, streaming live on, on Facebook. We welcome our both our listeners in the Bay Area and our uh, viewers uh, uh, worldwide. I want to shift uh, gears yeah, here a little, a little bit because there is some important news coming out of Palestine and actually coming out of uh, right here in, the, at, in, in New York. The United Nations. In yeah. The United Nations. Uh, you've watched uh, Mahmoud Abbas's uh, speech in... Uh, I call it the awakening. Uh, in, uh, at, of, the, uh, at the UNC. Abu Mazen. UNSC. And uh, it was very, I would say... Uh, you know, very to the point, did but he, but, he, but but did he yell but, at Nikki Haley? but it but it should have been delivered in 1999. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem. It was very much to the point, and well, just, saying it the way it is. Just 19 years too late. And it is. It should have been delivered in 1999, and then of course the reaction by Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley has has it has something against. The Palestinians. I mean, I have not seen any U.S. representative at the United Nations, uh, and we've had several hostile. But she's extremely hostile. She is very hostile. I guess she wants. She's thinking about her next job, Jamal. Whether or not she's going to run for senator, whether or not she's going to run for president, whether or not she's going to be a vice presidential candidate. But she has all of the APAC talking points down. Exactly. That's where I wanted you to go. <laughs> because look at her previous campaigns in Hawaii and wherever. Where was she getting the most money from? A APAC. By far, and NRA. By far. Again, here we have basically a surrogate of APAC. Yeah, she is a surrogate. See, she's a surrogate. She is. She actually takes a worse position than the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, I'm, it's exactly right, Jamal. In fact, some people said with Nikki Haley's comments yesterday that instead of the United States being in front of her, it, it could have said Israel because of the comments that she, was, that she was making that were so antagonistic to Palestine and to the Palestinian representatives. This is occurring, Jamal, at a time and we have to let our listeners know this that this is that Israel is building a new settlement today the first new settlement that has broken ground not not the expansion of an old settlement but the building of a new settlement the first one since 1991 and this is under the Donald Trump's watchful eye these settlements are illegal 
The Israelis have agreed to no new settlements as part of their agreements over the years, which they've broken repeatedly. And we're entering an era now where there is such hostility coming from the United States towards Palestine and towards the entire region and you know, adding Syria, Iran into the equation, which we'll get to in a minute, that we're work- looking at a region that's going to be so destabilized that we're, uh, we're, you and I are very concerned about what that says in terms of the future of the region and Absolutely. Palestine. It's very, very disturbing. And the other component of this discussion about Palestine uh, outside the United Nations is also very, I would say, very depressing yeah. news from, uh, and we'll play maybe also another soundbite here, from the chief Palestinian negotiator, Saab Arikat, who is, uh, who basically, I would say, he's also one of the architects of uh, the Oslo. He was. And he is the longest serving chief negotiator ever for anything that I've heard of. But 25 years as uh, a chief negotiator. Just recently, he had an interview on the Israeli Channel 2. And I want you to listen. Do Just, I have to? You have to. I want you to listen to what he had to say, which is, you know, it's true, but it's very shocking that he actually said it. So this is Saab Arakat. I don't think the Palestinian Authority is sustainable. I'm not, there is a difference between me saying dissolve the authority or hand the keys, because I think the keys we never had. You know, it is, uh, I mean, I may anger my president, but the real president of the Palestinians is the defense minister of Israel. And the real prime minister of, of Palestinians is the person who sits in Kugat, General Pauli. So if my president wants to go to Amman, I have to seek a permission from the Israeli witness. That's the truth. So yes, I agree that the Palestinian authority in the current circumstances is not sustainable. So basically, just... Uh, Why don't you just uh, summarize that for, well, our, li- for it, our listeners? Yeah, you know, it, it's not a very clear uh, soundbite because of the video and because it was translated into English and Hebrew then trying to kind of isolate his English, uh, English sound because it was dubbed over it uh, in Hebrew afterwards. But basically... Uh, he he said that the real 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 uh, president for the Palestinian Authority is Lieberman. Avigdor Lieberman. Avigdor Lieberman. The defense because uh, of course he's the defense minister and his uh, this is the uh, where they need to get their directions from. Even if they wanted to go to travel to Amman, Jordan, they needed permissions coming from his his ministry. And the real prime minister for the Palestinian Authority is uh, is the head of Gogat. Do you know what's that? That's yeah. the coordination committee that's assigned to the Palestinians, and that the Palestinian Authority is unsustainable. Those are the three things. Well, he's right about one of them. I mean, the Palestinian Authority is unsustainable, and I would put his statement. Jamal, in the same category of what you said about Abu Mazen. It's about 20 years too late. I mean, Saab Arakat has been a chief negotiator from Oslo on, and in those 25 or 24 years since Oslo that he negotiated, we have seen an utter dismantlement of the 
uh, historical pa- Palestine, more s- 500,000 illegal colonial settlers, uh, the building of an apartheid wall, the initiation and construction and continuation of apartheid practices of Israel, of the Israelis in historic Palestine. So that's come under the watchful eye of our chief negotiator. And I mean, he, he is right. Under those circumstances, is the Palestinian Authority really sustainable, Jamal? Well, I don't know. I mean, they know better, but but for sure, his statement is very revealing and in a way uh, goes against the grain of uh, what uh, they've been saying, meaning Saab Arakat uh, and um, President Abbas that, you know, be patient. We need more talks. Peace can only happen through negotiations, and they've been negotiating you know, for 24 years. And now this is the first time they've come out publicly. There were probably privately other statements that, you know, where things are not moving forward. Uh, They're moving and, backward. And, and this, is the re- this is the reality on the ground that, you know, Israel controls everything. It controls what happens, you know, to uh, President Mahmoud Abbas even when he wants to travel. He has to ask for permission, special permission from them, and everything that goes on in the West Bank. So, but he, every Palestinian has to he, do that, right? Ha, he is being honest. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to his credit, again, he's been honest. But twenty-four years later, yeah, a little bit too late. Same thing, Mahmoud Abbas. His speech was good at the United Nations Security Council, but again, twenty twenty-four years late. Well, I, I think that. Unfortunately, just because of the geopolitical situation right now, you know, because, you know, Abu Mazen went and spoke with Vladimir Putin. And the first thing that Vladimir Putin said to Abu Mazen was, President Trump sends his regards. So that tells you a little bit about the dynamics right now. Abu Mazen went to Vladimir Putin to see if he could establish a new axis of power and leverage in the region because the Russians have reasserted their authority politically and militarily in the region, Jamal, especially in Syria. You have a axis of power between or among the the Syrians, the Russians, and the Iranians. They are exerting a big influence right now. Abu Mazen thought, okay, I'm going to hitch my wagon to uh, Vladimir Putin. And Vladimir Putin basically put him back in his place and said, you know, Donald Trump sends his regard. So this is not really a great, a great time for Abu Mazen or the Palestinians. No, no, it's not. And, and the people who are on the ground are paying a heavy price. A heavy price. And again, we want to remind our listeners, as we have been doing every week, about the young Palestinian girl, 17-year-old now, Ahdit Tamimi. She's still in an Israeli military jail, and she is due to appear again. Without transparency. In without March. Without the media. You know, so they basically postponed her hearing from, uh, for almost a month, really. To um, This is the game they keep playing, to just keep holding her without uh, charges, because they don't have the charges yet. And she's still sitting there, uh, still uh, there is a campaign calling for her release and uh, we want our listeners to kind of stay uh, updated about her 
بلايت يو كان اجين عهد التميمي ذيرز هاشتاج فري عهد اور عهد اور هاشتاج عهد تميمي ذات كيبس يو ابديتد تو ايفريثينغ ذاتس هابينينغ اون ذا جراوند ذاتس ا نايس سيجواي جمال تو وات اي لايك تو كول تو بيز ان ا بود وير جوينغ تو اند توداي شو باي توكينغ اباوت بنجامين نتنياهو who has also been indicted. So it's interesting to see two of the world's most corrupt politicians, Benjamin Netanyahu and theoretically Donald Trump, once the Mueller uh, uh, investigation comes to fruition. But Benjamin Netanyahu has been uh, indicted on multiple accounts by the Israeli police. It's being sent to the attorney general to review the charges. He's in deep trouble. And what has Benjamin Netanyahu said, Jamal? This is fake news. He has taken his own playbook, which was <laughs> digested by Donald Trump and re-ingested by Benjamin Netanyahu and says, this is all fake news. Everything is fine. He goes to Munich for the defense conference, lifts a piece of a Iranian drone, and basically says, we need to attack Iran. We need to destroy Iran. Iran is the biggest problem. Isn't it interesting to you how the two political careers and lives of Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu are so closely aligned? Well, birds of a feather flock <laughs> together. But there is something wrong about the indictment of Benjamin Netanyahu. Oh, what's that? He should be. He in should ja- have been indicted <laughs> in jail for no. Ago. He should have been indicted for war crimes. Exactly. I'm not interested in the Israeli internal politics and corruption, but the real story. If there is a just word out there, he should have been indicted for war crimes because he's a war criminal. We have a few minutes. Just I want to give our listeners and viewers another update, and then this is just in. Uh, the Broward Sheriff uh, says that armed school uh, resource depu- deputy who was on duty at Stoneman Douglas the day of the shooting has been suspended without pay pending investigation. Wow. So uh, there is something happening that, uh, you know, the headline, we get all these updates Uh, that the sheriff said the armed officer at the school basically never went into the building during the shooting. Well, so, so he had been suspended, and, and we'll follow this story. We'll follow that story. But listen, thank, thanks, everybody, to joining us. Send us your comments to ArabTalk at KPOO.com. Follow us on Twitter. Listen to the shows on SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook. We'll see you next week. See you.